Welcome to Lou Palumbo's Between the Lines. Problem solving for our future. Lou. Common sense, logic, and reasoning. Lou. The man that can't stand hate and animus. Lou. Stimulating the thought process of America. Lou. Where being right is not political, it's factual. Lou. Providing real solutions in real time. And now, here's your host, Lou Palumbo. So, as um, you probably can imagine, it's been pleasurable to do this um, podcast. I hope we've disseminated some really relevant and pertinent information. And my intent was to expose you uh, to some people that were really, I would say, top of their game, like Tom Fuentes, Christian Briggs, any number of people, Ed Herman. Um, uh, I'm trying to think of the doctor that has two PhDs and um, is an attorney as well. Of course, I'm having a Dr. Morris. Thank you so much. And, um, you know, this is really about just giving people something to think about. We want to depart from the status quo. You know, I was thinking about this earlier and uh, starting to question whether or not we really need a 24-hour news cycle because all they really do is engage in redundancy. And they do it um, with impunity. They seem to be able to say whatever they want, whenever they want, to whomever they want, true, untrue, driven by agenda and politics. Um, they're just untethered, as they would say. So, you know, they're um, looking for me to give some credit to the production team. starts with Brian Williams, who's the... Uh, architect and the executive producer. He's one of the co-owners of It's City Entertainment. Lloyd Molander, who's having a really difficult time breaking from his childhood. He's out surfing right now in Hawaii. I don't hold that against him. Hiking, surfing. I tip my hat to him in many regards. Ryan Rossell, he does a lot in, in getting us, you know, really high-quality guests that have issues, kind of like today. We're going to speak to this gentleman, Scott, from Palestine, Ohio, getting an update. Uh, Gary Spurgeon, who may be the snappiest producer of all of all of them. Rob Semos, wish I knew Rob, but I don't. He's the video editor. And um, I want to thank uh, It's City Entertainment. I don't know why I'm thanking Tenacity Entertainment, because that's, that's Ryan. He's just Lloyd. He's just looking for another pat on the back. In any case, we are very fortunate to be doing this in, in the state of Florida. I come from New York. There's no secret. This is an incredible place. It's very well run. The people are quite civilized here, unlike the city of New York and the state. State is an you know overall, and I don't mean that to reflect on everyone in the state of New York, but we have problems there, guys. In any case, um, our sponsors, Spotify and Instacart, they're both legitimate, credible entities. That, uh, in fact, Spotify is. The the, the uh, platform that this is built off of, and they've been great in their support, unconditional in nature. I do want to thank TJ also. TJ's a young man, just came on the scene. He's helping us with the marketing. Um, I just want to remind everyone, we are um, not here to be contentious. We're here to give you something to think about, or as they say, food to thought. If you've listened to any of these podcasts, and in particular, someone like Tom Fuentes or Ed Herman or Christian Briggs, the information they're providing you, 
we don't want you to just accept it on face value. Although Tom's experiences in particular are quite unique because he was an assistant director of the FBI. He had an incredible career. He, was, he ran 80 offices, what they call the FBI International Operation, among organized crime and, and, and a myriad of other SWAT team exercises. He's, he's pretty astute in, in this world that he lives in. Um, one in which I kind of parallel to, but not on the same levels that Tom does. Christian Briggs is, you, you know, you're going to continue to hear him speak on what's going on with digital currency, the over-insinuation of China, which Tom is also going to speak to about today, by the way. And um, we're going to get going. I'm going to take a quick break and come right back because I want to collaborate with the, the kahuna over here. And uh, we'll be right back. Just stay with us. If you're a podcaster, I can't say enough good things about Buzzsprout. That is how we distribute our show. And to learn more about them, go to ourbetweenthelines.tv. I do want to explain one thing about Buzzsprout. Very user-friendly. And as you know, we incorporated ourselves. So if you're inclined to create your own uh, podcast and you want some real good support mechanism, we would tell you entertain Buzzsprout. They're very, very good. And as I said, we use them. Instacart, another interesting concept. You can go to your favorite grocery stores, sign on to their application without leaving your home, the comfort of your home. Just pick out the items you'd like. They'll assign a personal shopper for you and deliver them to the point that you would like them delivered to. Another great concept, very user-friendly, and I'll be honest, we use it also. It's very effective, and they're very, very good. They're very uh, on point. I'm back, ladies and gentlemen, and, you know, if you're listening to this podcast or you you have listened to it, I encourage you to do so. I also encourage you to become part of this discussion. You can go to betweenthelines.tv and just track us because we're going to go on a little hiatus. We're going to rebrand and do some upgrade so to speak that it's going to make this podcast uh i think more user friendly but um you know we we have a myriad of issues that are facing us today i don't even know where to start which is more important condition of your major cities condition of your borders your foreign policies this very misguided energy policy of ours where we just arbitrarily shut off the Keystone XL pipeline, which is why we're paying through the nose for gas and running to Venezuela and Iran for oil. It just doesn't make any sense. And then a couple of weeks ago, I heard the president make a comment that, you know, we have another 10 years on oil and probably more. I wish you had thought about that two years ago. And I don't mean to be critical of you. I just wish everybody would realign their agendas here because you're killing us. (laughs) to put it to you politely so um you know i i do want to touch about talk about the the borders um i've been speaking about this since i started this podcast what's really interesting about the conversation is that it's something else that's been politicized and weaponized but the only problem we're having guys is that many democrat elected officials are now complaining about the borders and the lack of management So we're not just listening to the officials from the Border Patrol, current and former, or agents, or residents. We're listening. We're hearing from, you know, the elected officials, Arizona, um, um, New Mexico, Texas, and even Gavin Newsom, who I suspect is looking for the White House, is starting to talk about the border. Because this is going to be a hot topic in the future. You know, we're going to bring a gentleman on today by the name of Scott. He is, he lives in uh, Ohio, in Palestine, Ohio, eight houses from where this train derailed. And you're going to hear some interesting, 
I would say, lack of addressments by the government and by the corporate entities, the rail company and the chemical company, regarding their lack of, of support for this community. You know, where we're going to go in this conversation is um, kind of simple. We have afforded the 5 million-plus illegal immigrants that have crossed our, con- our borders illegally with very posh housing in Manhattan, for example, in New York City, high-end hotels. They built complexes for them, um, providing them education, medicine, food. What have we done for them in Ohio? Hey, let me hold it up for you. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. So we're going to speak about that today. We're going to get a little update from Scott. I do want to go to Tom real quick because he's actually on right now. And I want to have a discussion, if we have time, about um, the insinuation of China in this culture. And Tom has a very unique background and understanding, even to the extent of China's placement of their law enforcement community, their type of police positions and consulates, for example. So, Tom, we're going to go to this again when Christian's uh, on air, but give us a little bit of the background on this problem with China that even Christopher Wray has spoken to. May not be a fan of Christopher Wray's, but doesn't mean he's always telling fairy tales. But go ahead, Tom. Lou, my last five years as the FBI, I ran the uh, International Operations Division, which is approximately 80 FBI offices outside the U.S., located in U.S. embassies and consulates throughout the world. Now, in order to have agents assigned in a foreign country like that, even though it's a U.S. embassy, U.S. consulate, they have to be given permission to be there by the host country. The host country has to give permission for the FBI or any other agency of the government to open an office in the first place. Uh, Each employee assigned that office, whether it's the secretary, the agents, analysts, linguists, go through background in that country to see if that country will allow them, make sure the country doesn't think they're there to conduct espionage and all of that. So that's under international treaty agreement worldwide of how you have attache programs. Now, the FBI has the largest program of every agency in the world. I think the RCMP in Canada has about 40 offices, maybe, and United uh, Kingdom, the same thing. But the 80 offices of the FBI is more than double any other law enforcement agency in the world. Now, what China has done in the in the Chinese embassy in Washington, D.C., they have three declared, allegedly, law enforcement officers who have permission of the U.S. government to be assigned there, to work in Washington, and to conduct liaison with U.S. agencies. Now, the U.S. attaches or the foreign attaches are not allowed to conduct investigation. They establish relationship with the host country authorities, whether it's request for investigation or request for training or something. That's how it works. They don't independently do what they want. Now, what the Chinese have done is created about 100 offices around the world in 20 different countries, including the United States and Canada. In these offices, they don't declare that office as a police office. They just declare it as community liaison, kind of like what the consulate would do in a city like New York City, for example. The consulate there would help Chinese citizens if they're trying to get visas or trying to go back to China or whatever they want to do that requires U.S. government authority. They would help them try to get that permission. But what China has done is create these offices. Their whole purpose is to track down fugitives that the Chinese want. And the Chinese can't technically arrest them 
in the United States. But what they do is go to those individuals and say, you know, we have your family under surveillance back in China. Um, harm is going to come to them unless you voluntarily fly back to China, turn yourself in. Now, you'll end up going to prison and all of that, but your family will allegedly be safe because you did the right thing and went back. So they're conducting basically fugitive hunts for Chinese fugitives in the United States. Now, in many countries around the world, governments have uh, extradition treaties agreed to. Now, years ago, and I was in these discussions on the Hill with Congress and the State Department, um, China was rejected from having an extradition program with the United States, with the FBI or DEA or anybody else. So therefore, the Chinese would not arrest somebody strictly on a U.S. warrant, provisional arrest warrant or Interpol red notice or other international mechanisms. They would not do that because there was no mechanism legally to put them in the system to bring them back to China and vice versa. There was no mechanism for American citizens to be arrested in China and sent back through extradition back to the United States. So China is it's just going around the fact that it's basically an unofficial, uh, illegal extradition program where they hunt their fugitives down in every country they're located, including the U.S. and Canada, and basically go to those individuals and say, we're watching your family. We have them under surveillance. We're using the social credit system. Do the right thing. Go back to China and turn yourself in. And in many cases, they do. Tom, let me ask you this, if I may. Um, a very simple question. And our country condones this? Well, not necessarily, but it's not. It's how much effort they make to eliminate it. Now, the Biden administration, as we know, extremely lenient when it comes to matters China. You can come to your conclusions of why that might be, of what degree of compromise the Biden family has and the president might have. But uh, back in November 2022, the FBI raided the office that the, these Chinese police are operating out of on the third floor of a commercial building right in the middle of Chinatown, New York City, in Manhattan, New York. And they raided the office, seized documents. Um, and then after that, we don't know what specifically has happened. So theoretically, they could arrest uh, individuals that are engaging in this unofficial police activity in the United States for so not I being ask authorized you to... I want to ask you a question, sir. Is it is it safe to say that China is running an espionage operation in the United States? Oh, they've been running espionage here since I was a baby agent. I mean, let's go back, go back 40, 50 years. This was a top priority we learned about in, tra in school. You know, I can remember as a young agent, at one point I ran the Indianapolis division of the FBI. Well, next door, you had Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in Ohio, near Dayton, Ohio. That Air Force Base was a hub of Chinese espionage because all of our jets, whether it's, you know, F-16s or F-22s, the avionics, the radar systems, the missile guidance systems, all of that advanced technology is actually developed. It's practiced out of Area 51, but the actual development is done at Wright-Patterson. We estimated, this is going back in the early 2000s, that China had close to 3,000 espionage agents in southern Ohio alone, because that was a top priority. And in fact, the spying there isn't just China. When we sell an F-16, let's say, to an ally, 
We only give them about 70% of the avionics package. We don't give them, it, the engines don't have the same speed capability, maneuverability, missile guidance, radar systems. All of that is a diminished version of what we have in ours. In case that jet gets stolen or operated by an enemy, we can still defeat it. So those countries, even allied countries, conduct espionage because they want to steal the rest of the package for their jets, which we sold them. I think what you just brought up is a really interesting point that's good good for the listener to hear. The fact that, you know, they're watching, they watch the United States sell jets to everybody on the planet. And, you know, we question that. I question that. And it's good for the public to understand that these are diminished in quality. I want to ask you, exactly. Tom, do you yeah. think, you may not know the answer to this, do you think they're providing them the training to the level they provide our pilots in operating these jets? No, because the jet isn't as sophisticated. It's not as fast or maneuverable or anything else. So, so uh, foreign countries don't get that same level of training. Now, here you're hearing the discussion currently, should we give F-16s to the Ukraine? Well, if the U.S. gives them, it's not going to be to the same degree. And they've also discussed that it's going to be a difficult task because all of the Ukrainian pilots trained on MiGs, Russian MiGs. And the avionics and the control of the aircraft is completely different. So that, so our instructor pilots have said it's easier to train U.S. pilots that have had no training on those type of jets from scratch as opposed to try to convert somebody from a different system, from the MiG system, let's say, of, of the uh, formerly Soviet Union and now the Russian Federation. So... So it's not the same thing. You know, Tom, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Just stay with us. If you're looking for peace of mind, look no further than Global Elite for your safety. Global Elite Security Force is made up of active and former law enforcement agents. Their force has worked at the federal, state, and local level. They are dedicated to providing the most professional personal security and investigative services available in the private sector. With offices nationwide and globally, this footprint gives Global Elite the ability to coordinate protection and security anywhere in the world. Think of Global Elite Protection Services for special events, dignitaries, high-profile net worth individuals, and the entertainment industry security services. Offering drones, weapons detection, shot sporting, chem bio detection, executive protection surveillance, dignitary protection, threat assessment, private investigation, and cyber security. They are the experts in intelligence and private protection services. Go to globalelite.us.com. That's globalelite.us.com to engage global elite. Have you ever thought about doing your own podcast and found the process confusing and overwhelming? Well, let Studio Podcast Suites of Jacksonville make it easy for you. They have everything you need to record, produce, and distribute a professional sounding podcast. Studio Podcast Suites is Jacksonville's only five-star rated professional podcast studio rental and podcast service company. Studio Podcast Suites provides two clean and comfortable state-of-the-art recording suites for both audio and video podcast recording. They offer a complete menu of podcast services, including editing, podcast art, hosting, video, consulting, and more. Studio Podcast Suites. Jacksonville's premier professional podcast studio recording and podcast service company. Book your studio today at studiopodcastsuites.com. That's studiopodcastsuites, S-U-I-T-E-S dot com. Studio Podcast Suites. 
We're back, ladies and gentlemen, and um, you've been listening to Tom Fuentes give you some insight uh, into China, their operations in the United States, uh, what we allow to happen here and apparently other countries throughout the world. We also talked a little bit about uh, technology and and, uh, espionage and something that was really relevant for the public to understand. This sale of our jets to foreign countries are not exactly up to snuff. Yesterday, Tom was involved in a conference call with myself and the producers and um, uh, a gentleman by the name of Scott, who is a resident in Palestine, Palestine, is how they pronounce it, uh, Ohio. And we were doing a little bit of a catch-up because our intent was to have Scott on the show today. We just heard recently that the CDC is currently at his house making an evaluation of a condition his daughter has developed as a result of this disaster. So we're hoping to hear back from him. But as of yesterday... Um, I asked him specifically since the time we spoke last, which was about a week or 10 days ago, has anyone showed up to give you assistance or aid? I mean, is uh, the rail company, the chemical company, um, anyone from the government really come in and offer to relocate you guys the same way we do with illegal immigrants? You know, we're providing them housing, emergency housing, any, anything. The answer resoundingly is no. You know, interestingly enough, um, there are about 5,000 residents in that community. There are 40,000 migrants in New York City that Mayor Adams is trying to accommodate. And by the way, is asking for a billion dollars of taxpayer money to do it. You know, you might ask a question, and we don't want to get political here. Why isn't something being done more proactively? This is going on almost a month now, I think, or three weeks at least. Um, I did have the, I guess opportunity to hear joy behar on the view this is a really interesting show make a comment to this effect that the residents in palestine ohio supported donald trump and this is kind of what you get because he was into not regulating you know in our conversation yesterday we were talking about this whole notion of the government's involvement in our lives corporations don't want it You know, the civilian populace doesn't want it. I believe there's a need on some level. But as a corporate entity, you don't get to have it both ways. You know, the chemical companies want to operate without oversight. So does the rail company. But then all of a sudden, we're yelling at the government, and I'm I'm just being honest and truthful about this. Why aren't they in there regulating them? Make your damn mind up, folks. You either want us in corporate America's life or you don't. Personally, I don't. I own a corporation, you know, and I don't need the government's assistance unless it's something that's going to be in a positive form. And that seems to be the dilemma. But what's really interesting, and I explained to Scott yesterday on a conference call with Tom and our producers and uh, Brian Williams, who is the the architect of this show, there's no motivation for the chemical companies, little rail companies, to step up and do something for you because that's interpreted as a tantamount admission of guilt. And in the lawsuit going forward, they'll ask, well, if you guys weren't complicit, why did you do something for them? Did you do that out of guilt or did you do it out of the fact you were obligated? And that's why they're sitting here kind of in limbo. But the government at this point, independent of the oversight they may or may not have with the rail company and the chemical company, should be coming in and providing them at least lodging and and as many creature comforts for their children, education, food. You know, we're not doing anything. This is confounding, and I certainly hope this isn't being driven by, you know, politics once again or an agenda. 
Now, Buttigieg did show up there for, I guess, about 20 minutes at 7 o'clock in the morning, so he didn't have to deal with any of the residents. Didn't provide much insight as to how this was going to move going forward, but he did try to deflect this to Donald Trump in a prior administration. Guys, that's not problem solving. You know, if a mistake was made, and I try to explain this to everybody, it's a real simple concept. Learn from the mistake, you go forward. If someone is deficient in the way they're performing, you need to manage that. Sometimes it's by elimination or minimizing their ability to impact what you are doing. But now this, everything, every time we turn around in a country has become Donald Trump's fault. The borders are Donald Trump's fault. That's just not true. That's a lie. This is the fallout or byproduct of a policy of this administration that's facilitated an excess of 5 million plus illegal immigrants accessing this country illegally during this administration. About 1.2 million of them are what we call gotaways, those who have been detected through technology who have had no encounter with any of our local law enforcement mechanisms or the government's mechanisms, Border Patrol, for example, ICE. You know, I wish they would just stop intentionally misleading the public and just tell the truth on these issues. I'm not so quick to hang this whole thing in Ohio on Buttigieg because between you, me, and a lamppost, this has been going on for decades. I did a little research. I think my research found that from 1991, um, in fact, I, I have it here. To 2021, we had over 54,000 derailments. That's about 1,700 a year. I think last year we had about 1,000, so we're getting better. But, guys, it's not like we didn't know it was here. But then again, do we want the government coming in, telling the rail companies how to operate? Maybe they need to be told that. You know, Maybe we need to tell the chemical companies about how to safely travel these, these extremely lethal chemicals. Now we're dealing with this whole issue of transparency. Are they telling us the truth as to what went on there as far as contamination? Soil, water, air, you know, your dwelling, all of the above. We can't get a straight answer here because everybody's worried about their political viability or an agenda they're attached to that isn't in the best interest of our children, first and foremost, and the country's overall health and future. You know, guys, these are fixable problems. You know, I have a very simple brain. When I bump into something that's problematic, I only know one thing to do. Fix the damn thing. I'm not looking to place blame. I'll be honest with you. Nothing good comes of it. Maybe what the person needs or the group needs who may have committed, made a mistake is just to educate them because we're allowed to make mistakes. We weaponize everything today, guys. We weaponize the media, the internet, a virus. My concern is we're now weaponizing this incident. By the way, I want to go off on a little bit of a tangent, and Tom is always chastising me about going around, but they all intersect, believe me when I tell you. This thing with artificial insemination is a brain fart. I mean, excuse me, I meant artificial intelligence. Artificial insemination I'm not commenting on because that's another dicey, dicey conversation. I want to retract that. Hope you can edit that, Gary. Artificial intelligence is a mistake. Based on man's track record, everything we touch, we seem to find a way to destroy or, I would say, deviate from its intended use, like the Internet, which was inherently good. Now we figured out ways to verbally slaughter one another, which is wrong. Our children are doing it, which is leading to suicides. Artificial intelligence is going to take us to a whole new platform. I don't need anybody to help me think. I'm doing quite well on my own. Now, maybe there are people out there that think that they do. But trust me when I tell you, you don't. 
We don't need this level of technology. I don't know how it's supposed to make our lives better, but I am concerned that it's going to make this much more convoluted. I'm going to give you a very simple concept. You're going to have people programming this artificial insemination entity, a robot, right? And we're probably going to have them uh, instilling in their programming, their views on how to reconcile issues, whether it's the border, cities, you know, uh, domestic issues, foreign issues. It's not like these independent, free-thinking people like we are. They're machines. They're robots. They're artificial. This is a mistake. We should not be going in this direction. Now I'm going to go to Tom Fuentes. Because, Tom, I want to hear what you're saying about this. About artificial intelligence? Uh, yes, not artificial insemination. We're past that. We're on to artificial intelligence. <laughs> Oh, okay. So I stop. I'll stop thinking about medical issues and get into this. Thank you. Go into science now. Right. I think the problem with it is that we've created a technology that allegedly can teach itself that it doesn't need every detail of how that software or hardware or the robot operate because we can teach it in a way or we can program it in a way that it can become its own instructor. And, and basically, and we've seen movies going back to 2001 Space Odyssey or other movies where the computer system that was installed kind of took over, decided it was smarter than the pilots or the astronauts, uh, and uh, it began its own operation until they figured out basically how to unplug it. So I think that's the problem with this is, is who is going to actually control it? And you have key people around the world saying that we may we may not be able to keep the genie in the bottle once this gets out these systems will teach themselves how to take over that's interesting so i think if i hear you right tom you support my statement that this is a mistake this is ill-conceived well the problem is how do you control how do you how do you develop systems that improve functionality efficiency that don't take over and become evil. So that's that's the the issue with this is who's controlling it, who's designing the system, who's in charge of it. So you have some of our greatest computer gurus over the last 20, 30 years that now reputation-wise are being questioned. Are these the guys we want looking at these systems or creating these systems? And I'm not going to name names. You can figure out who the big names are in technology that that have kind of taken over or want to take over. So, you know, I, I, I hear everything you're saying, Tom, I agree with it. I just think this is, we're embarking on something very dangerous. That's just my opinion. You know, you've expanded. No, I agree. We've already, but we've already embarked on it. So I don't know to what extent can it be controlled now? Maybe it can't. Maybe we can just completely back away from the program. Uh, Tom, I mean, we don't have to go further with it. You know, I, like I just said, I just said something earlier today, you know, at the end of the day, is what we're learning that we really don't need a 24-hour news cycle that redundantly repeats the same nonsense, which pits us against one another, that's all politically driven? Why do we need a 24-hour news cycle the way we do? Why do we need artificial intelligence? You know, my thing in life is if it isn't broken, don't fix it. That doesn't mean don't improve. I'm always looking for something better, but you have to weigh the pros and the cons. I think you'll agree with that. Yes, Tom? Sure. You know? And so, so what I'm whole- saying is beyond that, Lewis, I'm saying that we may be past the point of being able to unplug these devices or reverse it. That's why I refer back to Space Odyssey from the 60s, 
where you have the machine decide better kill the astronaut. That, you know, the master that's supposed to be controlling the computer, they're trying to figure out how to unplug it, how they can have a secure conversation that the computer doesn't overhear through the computer surveillance abilities. And eventually the computer sets out to murder them. And so that's what, you know, what some of the uh, theoreticians going back 40, 50 years are saying, we go down this road, at what point have we gone too far and can't go back? That's the question, Tom. If you're a podcaster, I can't say enough good things about Buzzsprout. That is how we distribute our show. And to learn more about them, go to ourbetweenthelines.tv. I do want to explain one thing about Buzzsprout. Very user-friendly. And as you know, we incorporated ourselves. So if you're inclined to create your own uh, podcast and you want some real good support mechanism, we would tell you entertain Buzzsprout. They're very, very good. And as I said, we use them. Instacart. Another interesting concept, you can go to your favorite grocery stores, sign on to their application without leaving your home, the comfort of your home, just pick out the items you'd like, they'll assign a personal shopper for you and deliver them to the point that you would like them delivered to. Another great concept, very user-friendly, and I'll be honest, we use it also, it's very effective, and they're very, very good, they're very uh, on point. We're back, and I just want to... uh, go over. We were supposed to have a gentleman from uh, East Palestine, Ohio, who's a resident there, and uh, he was going to be on to give us a little insight as to exactly how the support mechanism is progressing, but to make it very brief for you, it isn't. Um, joining us right now is Christian Briggs. Uh, Christian's been on the show before. He's becoming a very important part of this discussion, this equation. He's got an interesting wheelhouse that deals with digital currency and his knowledge and insight as to uh, China's presence. Again, he and Tom will probably provide you some really interesting information. So I want to bring Christian in now. Christian, are you there, sir? Yeah, right here. Okay, good. So we're gonna, I want to start this conversation, this segment with Christian regarding um, any digital currency updates. And I do want to talk to you also uh, in a collaborative manner with Tom regarding China's insinuation into the United States, because that's highly relevant, guys, today. And... Uh, I want to give you the go, Greg. Uh, Christian, go ahead. Okay, two things. So <clears throat> there's an attorney and law professor who teaches at one of the biggest universities in the country who literally this morning texted me who has been doing uh, a two-year study with his class of law students. He teaches law school, very prestigious. His wife is becoming what could be the next senator of one of the biggest states. He's definitely going to make a try for him. She probably will succeed. He's so concerned by it that he has been studying it in class, having students do research on what it is, how it works, what are the ramifications in society within general commercial viability usage, and then what are the consequences on the downside. His conclusions are scary. He sent me the first about 10 research reports over the last 24 months And it gets darker. Like you were talking about, can you see the light? Think of this. The first report was the lightest tint you can put on your car. The latest one is limoed. It's that dark. So he's asked me to actually speak in April in front of his uh, students, all all the different classes over about a three-day period, on because I took it to a different level. So let me tell you a little bit about what has transpired just in the past, say, 30 days. Japan released two weeks ago their CBDC. 
There has been about six other countries now that have gone full-blown pilot, which is a commercial beta, understanding that retail will be sometime around three to four months, maybe six months at the most after commercial beta. What's interesting is the limitations of cash. More and more countries now are forbidding the taking or the removing of cash from banks. In other words, when you want to go to a bank and you say, oh, I want to get $10,000, $5,000, maybe you're a grocery store, maybe you're a, you work in an area that cashes the majority of the transactions. A lot of different industries still require cash as the as the means to paying people, the cannabis industry, the first one, you know, even the legal cannabis business. So that's starting to happen. But what's real scary is, is the fact of the Bank of America and Wells Fargo are now asking people, if you want to remove cash or to withdraw cash from your account, and it's anything over three, four, five thousand, you got to make prior arrangements. You got to start. You got, and it's not the entire banking system. It's obviously um, limited to certain branches, but they're starting to integrate the concept of, and it's called programming and conditioning. And I know that Tom knows this very well. It's done CIA, NSA. I mean, it's it's been around for hundreds of years. You you condition somebody to reprogram them, deprogram them, or proactively program them. And what they're doing is by the removal of cash, more and more transactions are being forced into a digital platform. Venmo was the experiment of all experiments. First was Bitcoin. Will they actually use a token? Venmo was the peer-to-peer. And now we're seeing more and more transactions. I literally was, so listen to this, 17%, you're going to love this. Talk about CBDC and really where we're at. 17% of transactions today globally that were done just five years ago in the dollar are now done in another type of currency, digital yuan or the regular yuan, Chinese. It seems to be the majority of it. At least it's getting a lot of the the, uh, transactions. A lot of it's petro. A lot of it's consumption, obviously, manufacturing in China. And they're requiring that more and more of the the yuan. China's role right now is to destroy the dollar. Our role as a country is to support the dollar, keep it as a reserve currency. But even in the words of Jerome Powell, and not too not too long ago, he said, "There will be room for two reserve currencies, and more than likely, that's how it's going to be." Now, what's the second reserve currency? The dollar, or are we the first reserve currency? Are we going to play back of the bus, or are we driving the bus? Looks like we're going to be in the back of the bus right now, being driven by God knows who, and where we're going doesn't look good. So CBDC is here. 114 countries now are solidified in the building the deployment, the consumption, and the controlling of that platform of payment systems. Christian, let me ask you a quick question, if I may interrupt you, sir. So so explain to the audience, why is the government on board for this transition? Well, same way I'd be on board for it. I mean, look, if I was the government and I wanted to make sure that all the taxes that need to be paid are paid, I would then also be able to minimize discontent within society, if you mouth off, if you do something that goes against policy, it's just a flip of a switch. We can turn off your car. We can turn off your money. What are you going to do? Where are you going to go? Oh, worse than Canada. Worse than Canada. Canada's 34 million people. We're 354 million people. And when you start to add up South America, of course, Latin America, and then you go across Europe, Africa, 
Forget India and China. They're already part of the BRIC, the BRI. They're already integrated into their ecosystem and whatever currency is derived from their cooperations and their partnership was left to be seen. But I still think it's going to be the digital yuan that will ultimately rise to the occasion, giving China's supremacy, both in a military and economic status behind the U.S., of course. Well, actually, that's not true. Technically, their supremacy is higher level on the Navy side. They're almost equal, if not uh, advancing quickly on the uh, other military fronts from uh, from personnel to <clears throat> missiles to what have you. So they may be forced uh, to take the lead role in the currency. But it, going back to your question is, if I was the government, it's all of the above. Supremacy uh, over people, control as minimizing chaos, evasion is almost eliminated from tax standpoint. And quite honestly, if they just don't like you, they don't like you and they'll turn you off. Sorry, Lou, we, we, we like you, but we don't like your haircut today. We don't like your car you're driving. We don't like your politics. Oh, you're voting for that guy? Nah, I don't think so. We'll turn your money off until until you come back to your senses. So, that. Christian, if, if I can ask you, in, in your opinion, is that there's no way to reverse what we're embarking on. Am I right? This, no way. This transition to digital currency. And it won't be no an way. issue as to whether or not the public um, is in favor of it. It's just going to be simply imposed. It already is. It's already been conditioned. Call Venmo. Tom, let me yeah. ask you a question, if I may. You know, what, yeah. what's your perception of... Um, of this transition, how, how do you see it um, influencing, for example, or affecting the citizenry of the country? What do, you, what do you think, Tom, about this transition and the government's control? I think it absolutely will change everything, basically, because what you'll have in the U.S. is what China has now, the social credit system. China decides if you're behaving okay, they'll allow you to purchase tickets to travel, groceries, you name it pay your rent. If you get on the bad list, if you're late with a payment or something, they can cancel your, like the truckers in Canada, Canada, just cancel your ability to buy, pay, travel, do anything. So in this country, that's what it'll enable our uh, government to do the same thing. We'll have basically, they can modify the social credit system to whatever point they want to ensure compliance. Now we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, uh, you know, and a lot of people take the position that never, that'll never happen in the U.S. You know, the people will revolt and prevent it and all of that. And I said, maybe, because the people here have had three years of complying with COVID regulations, which everybody now knows are but 95% phony. And yet people complied. They did what they were told. They got vaccinated if they were told, you name it. Um you know, they got an exercise in how the government controls your life, whether you can leave your building, whether you can go surfing in California, whether you can go to a park, whether you can do anything. The government decided what you can and cannot do. Tom, did you just say that to upset one of the producers on the show about the surfing comment? Oh, you might no, not I be able to surf. You might not. I want to think about it. Brian, if you're listening, get on the phone, get some counseling out to the West Coast immediately. You know, apparently surfing was outlawed in California during the height of this. You couldn't surf all by yourself out on the ocean. Nobody within two miles of you. And they prohibited you from doing that. I have I have Lloyd surfing with a mask on. Now, I don't really show that to many people, but I just guys, he was really in full compliance. But, Tom, let me just say one thing about what you commented on. and, And Christian, all of these things that we're talking about 
lend itself to the distrust of the government. You know, we spent three years playing footsie with this thing. Um, mask, no mask, effective, not effective. We were told by, I hate to say the president, that if you took the vaccine, you couldn't get the virus, you couldn't transmit the virus. You know, we are, we're losing um, in totality faith or trust in the government, which is not a good thing. You know, Tom, my, I was it the one who posted. It, I mean, not a good thing, but it doesn't matter whether you trust the government or not. And the government could care less if you trust them. The government wants compliance not trust or affection or love. They just want you to do what they tell you you have to do. Understood. That's understood, Tom. We're going to take a quick break, guys, and we're going to come right back to this conversation. Um, We're going to continue to talk about China's presence or influence in the United States. We were just haranguing the producer on the show, concerned about his safety now because of the comment by Tom Fuentes they could ban surfing. We don't want to. We don't want to lose Lloyd. So we're sending immediately some Xanax, and we're reducing his residency to one story only, just in case he takes a step out the window, get an ankle sprain. I want to, guys. I want to take you into another discussion regarding China, um, not so much attached to the digital currency discussion and their agenda, but to their their general presence in our culture, the manner in which they've insinuated themselves, whether it's acquiring farmlands or balloons. You know, I don't know if anybody's been following balloon stock. It may have gone up. I don't know. I'm going to defer to Christian on that one. But give us a little insight or understanding as to what the concerns are regarding China's presence in the United States and the manner in which we are experiencing today. Christian, you want to take the first shot at this? Sure. So China imposes a couple different threats. Tom, Tom will be absolutely understanding of this. One, the Chinese in uh, 1850, when the British occupied Hong Kong and the mainland, cut off all supply routes of of food, right? So China basically resorted to to whatever they could to be able to get by. At that point, there was was an understanding in, in, in the Chinese culture that anybody who opposes them or their way of life or, or cultural differences will be taken out. And the U.S. obviously is one of the roadblocks to their dominance. In the Chinese culture, money is everything. The rise of the Chinese affluent individual is a direct response to the understanding that Chinese, Chinese people use money as a dynamic way to give them the understanding of society where they are. So the more money you have, the more dominant you are within the Chinese culture and the more power you gain with money. So wealth is the, the purpose of their life. Christian, the isn't, States, isn't that the same way we are, though, buddy? Isn't that no, really? So. You know, no, we you have religion. You know, you, no, Luke, we have religion. We have religion. We have religion, man. We got religion. Remember that. We have religion. We have moral compasses that are based in biblical principles. So when you have a look at the Chinese culture, Christianity is not something they promote. In fact, they not only discourage it, but they actually um, they, they actually willfully prevent you in most cases from understanding any Christianity. And when it comes to the Muslims, you know how they take out the Muslims, you know, those those camps up north in Mongolia. I mean, those those things are terrible what they've done. So at the end of the day, we have a standardized way to think. In other words, standardized being we think in a capitalistic way, yes, money is something that we work for, but we don't utilize it as our religion. Some people may, but the majority of Americans, 
or people at least living in America still have an affiliation or some type of connection to a religion, okay, whatever that religion may be. So China is working on the basis that if they destroy America, they create supremacy, military, and economics, and that is their God. Let me ask you a question uh, specific to their presence in the United States in a physical manner, physical format, like, you know, purchasing all these farmlands, for example, becoming involved financially in universities like the University of Pennsylvania. I mean, that that to me is is a more immediate concern. Like, I'm still trying to reconcile the fact that this government allowed a foreign entity adversarial in nature to traverse the country with a balloon for quite, I would say, a protracted period of time. But, you know, what what's your feeling about their presence in the country today? You know, the way they've, they're buying land masses in proximity to missile silos or military bases. Well, you're talking about, you're talking about covert operations to secure regions of territory that would give them the high ground. Tom, you understand what I'm saying, right? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So if you have the line of sight and that line of sight would take multiple locations within various regions, both artificially made like the South Sea Islands, as well as places of which that are already cultivated. In other words, they're in countries, but you, you quietly acquire these parts of the world that you need to have strategic locations to keep line of sight. What you've effectively done is you've created a coverage over the world that is uncompromised because you have complete way to see everything in such a manner that gives you the high ground. In other words, we can't fight multiple battles in so many different places, but the Chinese would have the security of that area that they've, in, whether it's farmland in America, whether it's the South Sea, China. Do you understand that their presence in both an economic and military stronghold in Africa and South, South America is overwhelming? Do you understand that technically what we know, they are probably the largest landowner in America, certainly farmland, more than Bill Gates, because when you take the unknown, that's even scarier. It's what we don't know. It's scary enough to understand where they are, but it's even more disheartening to try to sit there and figure out, okay, what else don't we know? Because if you think we don't know stuff, you're right. We don't know. To look at one to two million Chinese nationalists that are pro-military, CCP pro-military, which means that they'll die for the cause, they're already in America. There's already a Chinese military, may not equal our military with our reservists and active duty members, but make no mistake about it. The Chinese have at least one million, if not two million Chinese military associated men and women in this country that would literally drop what they're doing today and fight the cause. Tom, come break in on this, Tommy. Give us some perspective. If I could add, China has over 350,000 students in the United States that are Chinese nationals. So they're here on student visas. We don't know where their true loyalty may lie, if they're going to go back to mainland China or, or what services they're going to provide for China from here. But we know that they have 
you know, going on half a million students just in the United States alone. The other thing that we don't know, again, I've talked about this before, you know, we look at farmland and we think, well, that's to grow crops, that's to raise food. However, you know, China is also doing extensive research on electronic pulse. So if we have missile bases in Montana and we're ready to go to war, maybe China does goes ahead with the invasion of Taiwan, and when then we get ready to launch those missiles. And I lived near one of these bases in Illinois years ago. And it, it's a spooky thing when the doors open and out of the ground comes the missiles getting into launch position. And so what could happen in Montana or any of these bases is if the Chinese have set up their technology on that farmland that they own, they might be able to just hit the button and the electronic pulse shuts off all electronics on that rocket. Can't leave the ground can't take off, can't receive command or control from U.S. commanders. So that's the other issue is they could shut down airports, they could shut down power grids, and they could shut down missiles or weapon bases uh, in the United States. Guys, we're going to take a quick break. And um, I need to have a conversation with the producer and our architect, Brian Williams. If you're a podcaster, I can't say enough good things about Buzzsprout. That is how we distribute our show. And to learn more about them, go to ourbetweenthelines.tv. I do want to explain one thing about Buzzsprout. Very user-friendly. And as you know, we incorporated ourselves. So if you're inclined to create your own uh, podcast and you want some real good support mechanism, we would tell you entertain Buzzsprout. They're very, very good. And as I said, we use them. Instacart, another interesting concept. You can go to your favorite grocery stores, sign on to their application without leaving your home comfort of your home just pick out the items you'd like they'll assign a personal shopper for you and deliver them to the point that you would like them delivered to another great concept very user-friendly and i'll be honest we use it also it's very effective and they're very very good they're very uh, on point we're back ladies and gentlemen i'm getting a lot of distractions here i want you guys to know that's making it exponentially more difficult for me to do what i need to do which is introduce brian williams again so brian can explain to you exactly where we're heading with this podcast brian you have the floor sir all right well i, I just again guys i want to thank everyone for their participation in this show we've hit a milestone um we've recorded a uh, hundred of these episodes and uh, I, as a part of that, this this team has worked very hard um, to uh, make the show what it is today. So I want to thank Lloyd Molander and, and Ryan Rossell for their participation, um, as well as, of course, our esteemed host, Lou Palumbo, and um, the guests that we um, have been uh, incorporating into the show as well, Christian Briggs uh, of Hard uh, Asset Management. And Tom Fuentes, of course, uh, former assistant director of the FBI. Um, and I just want to let all the listeners know that uh, we have been listening to your feedback and trying to incorporate some of those elements into the show. And as a part of that, we're actually going to go through a uh, short rebranding period um, where we're going to refresh some of the um branding um and promotion for the show um as well as um incorporate some um new segments that um, we know you're going to enjoy so um stay tuned and we will be sending out um links to everyone so they uh, can continue to find us 
and uh, during this period, we're also going to continue to put out um, some um, great uh, content for you to view. Uh, please share with your friends and family. Um, this show is really about um, getting ourselves as a country back on stable footing, no matter what your politics or background is. Um, and we hope you'll um, be a part of that movement uh, with us. Thanks so much, everyone. And I just want to say one final thing, Brian. Thank you to you and everybody who's been involved in this thing. And guys, we're starting a GoFundMe um, page right now so we can make sure that um, Lloyd never runs out of beeswax. For those of you that are water people, it's how we wax our surfboards. Okay, that's, that's it for right. today, guys. I thank you for joining us, and um, I look forward to the future, courtesy of Mr. Williams, and, and I hope Tom and and Christian in particular are continuing to be a part of this conversation. There were things in the works as a result of Brian's efforts that are, are hopefully going to take this thing to a level or a plateau that it needs to be. Thank you so much again, And a guys. shout out to Gary Spurgeon, too. For Oh, um, yes. Gary Why Robinson. would I forget Bar Gary, Gary Spurgeon, who sits in this room with me on all these, um, these podcasts. His support is invaluable. He's inspirational and gives a tremendous amount of direction and tracks and times me and keeps me in line with Lloyd. That's it, guys, for today. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. I'm Lou Palumbo, and BetweenTheLines.tv You can still correspond with us. I don't think there's a downside to that, but just stand by. It's going to get better. Yeah.